Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. It is nighttime in the Mojave, finally. And no thanks to daylight savings time. Is nighttime and all the beautiful flowers have folded up for the night. And they are growing just about everywhere now. Maybe not the great carpets of color that attract the great snaking lines of cars. The cars parked haphazardly on the roadside, tourists tumbling out in the most remarkable outfits. And the most enormous hats and heavily decorated hats at that. The wildflowers that I like the best are the ones that just kind of creep up on you when you're walking, preferably alone, without having to endure somebody talking about how beautiful it is. I mean, we know it's beautiful. That's why we're walking here instead of walking in the shadow of seagulls up at the landfill on Yucca Mesa. Well, between a crop of silver-gray boulders washed and polished by the rains we've been having, you might see some fairly tall violet flowers poking up from the happy little shrub they call home. Each one with a golden-yellow little disc in the middle flashing its color at you through the violet petals. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Mojave Aster. The ends of the petals get a little scraggly and windblown within a few days of blooming. And they remain that way for many weeks. Increasingly battered by the winds, increasingly battered by events. But holding strong... Holding strong on those long, strong stems reaching up from the shrub. There is something about the light and color of these Mojave aster blooms that turns the old gray boulder into the most perfect setting, the most beautiful backdrop. And then right up against the boulders, the long vine-like stems reaching through cracks in the granite, you see these outrageous blue bells with dainty, narrow, white-tipped stamens jutting out from the bluest flower you will come across in the whole desert. I'm talking about the desert bells, the Canterbury bells. These annuals that come up between and around the boulders and they never fail to surprise, they never fail to delight. I like to look up the names and butcher the Latin privately, of course, and I do enjoy reading the various alternate common names that always differ by the book you're looking at by the time it was published by the writer's own traditions 
wherever the writer was first introduced to a specific flower. And so I was flipping through these wildflower books, and one of them claims people call these beautiful springtime little bells scorpion weed. say such a thing. What does it have to do with scorpions? Because scorpions also exist in the desert. They're not even out yet. Not up here in the higher elevations. Thank God. Enjoy your long winter's nap, scorpions. Enjoy being down there. Down there with the rattlesnakes. Stay down there as long as you like. I'll still be here in June. Scorpion weed. That's like calling desert dandelions centipede hats. It's just dumb. Of course, if you grew up calling desert bluebells scorpion weed, by all means continue. Otherwise, most people will know what you're talking about if you say Canterbury bells. Or those crazy blue flowers that look like nature's champagne flutes or whatever you like whatever you want to call them now one thing I've learned about scorpion weed is that it's one of the few desert annuals that grows well around your house it's an annual herb as they say and just like in the high desert it does well on the edge of your flower bed It's a shame how such a pretty flower can attract so many hundreds of scorpions per bloom. Truly remarkable. And also not true. That is not true at all. And it's a shame how people can lie so much, spread so much disinformation. Now, the website LAist, that's L-A is in Los Angeles with I-S-T on the end because that's how people would name websites a decade or two ago. They posted this thing with all the Instagram influencers posing amongst the desert wildflowers and their dumb outfits, these comedy suits. Now, if you've lived a blameless life, you don't know what an Instagram influencer is, and you don't care. And I'm sorry to have to ruin that little island of tranquility for you, just for sport, really, and explain to the best of my knowledge, which is both biased and unreliable, that an Instagram influencer is a kind of idiot who has collected just enough followers on Instagram to make a little money on the scam. And usually it's not real money, it's just stuff. Product. Stuff like very large hats that are useless and even a light breeze. Enormous weird shoes with enormous heels that sink right into the desert crust and tear it all up like a motorized tiller. Which is another reason to stay on the trail or in the car or at home. While these people were doing their best poses, mostly looking away into the distance as if a random photographer just happened to be walking by and noticed somebody in a lot of makeup and a rhinestone throw rug on their shoulder 
And they've pulled maybe a dozen flowers, killed maybe a dozen blooms, and these are now arranged, stupidly, upon their person. They might have one or two poppies sticking out of their collection of bracelets on the one arm, and maybe they're holding a bloom up to their face like they don't know what it is, mystified, really. A look of such craven ignorance, such willful lack of insight. They need to get a picture of the kitchen device that they're paid to promote on Instagram, too. So the person might have, say, a blender balanced on their other shoulder. A large retro blender of some kind for making sauces at a restaurant, that sort of thing. And then there will be a hundred or so comments, each more witless than the previous. You so hot, one might say, or obviously from the marketing firm. What are some facts about the Retro Blender? Where can I purchase it online for three easy payments of $89.99? Then you got this guy, this human joke, his head tilted like he's having trouble understanding. Again, he is squatting in a field of wildflowers. He has plucked a number of wildflowers, and the stems of these are tucked behind his right ear. He is not wearing a shirt. Although he is wearing something like suspenders, old-time clown suspenders. And they are just draped over his shoulders while he squats in a field. Is he even wearing pants? The suspenders, these Mork from Orc clown suspenders, are apparently the product the influencer is being paid to promote by draping the product over his shoulders while he squats in a field. Are they selling a lot of suspenders this way? I would love to see some numbers to explain this to justify the expense of companies paying these people. I would like to see the return on investment. There are approximately 1,000 comments on this one, most of them emoji and none mentioning the product. And nobody seems to be bothered by the wanton destruction of the wildflowers in a national park, a state park, a nature preserve, whatever it is. Just pull them all out of the ground and take your picture and get back in the car and go wait in the coffee chain drive through line for a while and read over your comments, see what kind of engagement you're getting. Listen, if you're strolling through this Garden of Eden and you find some Instagram devil pulling up wildflowers, just go over there and firmly place your hiking boot on their head when they're bent down, ruining the desert for everybody. One hiking boot to the head is the universal language for stop being such an idiot. It's legal, too, in the national parks. It's the Defense of Native Plants Act, signed into law on this day in, I don't remember the year, I believe it was Theodore Roosevelt. Look it up. Look it up on Instagram. time about this year, I will tell anyone who listens, anyone who will not get up and walk away all about my favorite desert wildflower. My favorite not because it's rare, but because it's so common. 
It is the outrageously yellow desert dandelion, which I have always called the yellow dello. These come up on the roadside and the lower elevations before they start popping up all over the hillsides, the washes, why they'll even grow all over an ugly, scraped-by-bulldozer, half-acre lot in Yucca Valley. They grow all over the disturbed sand and soil, from the bulldozers and the flash floods and that sewer system they've been building under Yucca Valley for the past couple of decades. They are generous flowers, generous with their beauty and generous with their kindness. This is the time of year when I go to my office, my poor little roadside office that stinks of diesel smoke. Where broken meth pipes and empty tall boys and cigarette butts are the usual presents I find on the porch. Although somebody did leave several lipstick kisses on the front door, and that was nice. That was nice for a change. And then through this usual sea of roadside highway trash, all of a sudden a few brave desert dandelions have popped up, popped through the highway debris, through the cracked slab foundation. A couple of brilliant yellow flowers splitting off from the leafy green stems. So every plant is its own little bouquet, the flowers varying in size and color saturation from stem to stem, so you might have a yellow dello that's two inches across, surrounded by flowers half that size, some with paler petals, some with bigger and brighter red buttons, some that hug the ground, and some that stand a foot and a half high. All the same flowers, all desert dandelions, They've got that ridiculous little dot of blood red at the center and the petals ending in five little points, like salad tongs or a spork. Or just like what it is, a dandelion. And that's exactly what it means in the original Latin. Lion's teeth. Dumbly and pointlessly, I try to take pictures. The pictures never compare. The pictures are an insult to the memory of gazing upon something so sublime. And then, in shame but not enough, I will post the picture to Desert Oracle's Instagram account and try to maybe get the office sign in the background for branding. Oh, the crimes we commit in the name of... I don't know what name I commit my crimes in. I don't know which god or devil to blame for my actions. Blame them all, the whole rotten bunch. Go torment some other planet, you bunch of broken record holograms, holographic space goblins. Go do something useful or get lost. The Joshua trees themselves are blooming now. I've got these plump, ivory-colored artichokes that are opening up all around, all around the high desert. And this begins a strange and necessary cycle by which the Joshua tree gets pollinated even though it offers no nectar and hardly any pollen. 
because here comes the weird little yucca moth, which appears to be intentionally pollinating the Joshua tree blooms. From tree to tree, the yucca moth is actually laying eggs and stuffing them down in the bloom, where the young will feed on some of the seeds. This one little moth is responsible for maintaining the population of Joshua trees on Earth, which only exist in the Mojave Desert, of course. As long as we leave Joshua tree habitat and don't roast the world, you know, Joshua trees need a freeze before they bloom, and we had lots of below-freezing nights and lots of rainfall, and sure enough, the Joshua trees are blooming with great abandon. Now, I haven't seen many cactus blooms so far this year, because they bloom late, especially up here. They like it warmer. Well, the main ones you're going to notice when they bloom are those big, showy, velvety flowers on the beaver tail and hedgehog cactus. Cactuses. Cacti. And they're all correct. Because cactus is the same in Greek and in Latin and in English. So you can do your plural however you like. Don't let, let people, people push, push you around. around. And give you a hard time when you're not bothering anyone. It's not like you're pulling up handfuls of protected wildflowers in a desert national park and sticking them in the sides of the $200 hat you're modeling. The hat you're modeling for a bunch of chronic masturbators and Russian bots. Now, the beaver tail is self-explanatory. Each segment looks like the tail of the beaver, the animal. If their tails were covered in gray-green cactus skin instead of fur. And for about 45 minutes on a single day, which is usually the day before you're there, they have these bright purple and bright pink blooms with layers and layers of very thin petals. Fine and thin and silky. And a big mess of golden yellow stuff in the middle where you will likely see a bee staggering around drunk on the stuff. Well, that's the beaver tail. Don't bother the bee. Don't touch the beaver tail pads either. They only look like they don't have a million tiny thorns. Now, sometimes when another mountain bicyclist has dumbly ridden their bicycle off trail and often right through the middle of a beaver tail cactus that took about a dozen years to grow those few inches off the ground, I'll find broken cactus pads spread around under the bicycle tire tracks, the bicycle tires that left a one-inch gouge a mile or two long through the absurdly delicate desert crust. That delicate desert cross that holds this whole place together. And if I don't have gloves, which I don't, you might find me using whatever proxy hands I can manage, maybe the edge of my phone and one of my car keys, to move these amputated pieces of beaver tail cactus out of the sandy trail, maybe to someplace where if it's damp enough, 
and roots will grow out of the pad and maybe we'll get a new beaver tail going. Cactus are magical animals. Remember that next time a nice ripe section of choya lodges itself in your ankle. It's not a bug, it's a feature. For the cactus, anyway. And for you, it's educational. A beaver tail takes four or five years to get to the point that it can even produce blossoms. The hedgehog cactus might have a similar bloom, but you will not confuse the cactus itself with a beaver tail. The hedgehog cactus looks nothing like a hedgehog. Nothing at all. But when it gets enough rain, it's a stately thing to see. The colors vibrant on the skin. The thorns very long and very strong. They grow up in little circles like a little stone hinge. And they stand a foot or two tall, mostly. They start blooming in late May around here with big, showy blooms, much like the beaver tail. And they have an equally wild spread of colors depending on the particular cactus. Sometimes they're purple or blood red like in the visitor guides and the wildflower books. Sometimes they're a beautiful pastel yellow. Sometimes they're half and half. One time I was down in the sand looking at one of these and trying and failing to take a good picture and there was what I assumed to be a hungry bumblebee hanging around waiting for me to get out of the way. And then when I stood up I realized it was a big black tarantula hawk and it was deeply irritated by my presence. So I did what any self-respecting person would do out of pure instinct. I ran away and I hid from it until it stopped angrily flying around and found something else to do. Like lay its eggs in the still-living body of a tarantula that wasn't bothering anybody either. The tarantula hawk is a beautiful thing, a beautiful machine of torture and misery and child-rearing. The tarantula hawk looks like something a 7th grade boy would draw on his trapper keeper or that a heavy metal band in the 1980s would design for its logo. Or some military unit would put on their patches, absurdly oversized, glossy black body and slender blood-red wings that look far too small to carry such a large creature. Speaking of the cactus named for an animal one does not generally associate with the Mojave Desert, at a couple of spots on the Mojave River where there's surface water, there are also beavers. The Mojave River Beaver, which you can call the Southland Beaver as well. When Kit Carson and his scouting and animal trapping party crossed the Mojave Desert, they trapped hundreds of beavers at Deep Creek and along the Narrows. The trappers hunted the beavers to extinction in the Sierra, and they came close down here. But there are beavers on the Mojave River, and they live in the riparian lands of the Mojave Narrows. Over in Victorville and up in Deep Creek to this day. They're partly responsible for such a lush, green, riparian zone on the Mojave River. 
go leave that in a comment on Instagram. You might just blow somebody's mind. And I hope you see some wildflowers tomorrow. Especially if you live around here. Don't let the tourists have all the fun. Plus, you know the good places. You know the places without a line to get in. Or you know somebody who knows. Or you can ask somebody who knows. There are all kinds of people who work around here who know all these things. Just ask them. Everywhere you go around here, there are park rangers and botanists and land trust conservationists. People who are just waiting for the chance to tell you all about whatever they know about. Wildlife corridors. The sex life of the Yucca Moth. There's every kind of weirdo up here, I mean. Which is good, generally speaking. In moderation. this too much to anybody because I have a pretty good idea that the human disaster had no idea what he was signing but Joshua Tree and a bunch of other California desert parks and public lands got some real good news this week Tens of thousands of acres of public lands in the California desert will now become federal wilderness and protected national park and other such good stuff. Including right here in our little town of Joshua Tree. There are some Mojave Desert Land Trust parcels joining some beloved and abused BLM parcels right here. That's all part of the national park now. Your national park. Take care of it. Somebody's got to do it. Now that's it for Desert Oracle Radio tonight. Tonight, anyway. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Just a quick mention here as we ride these waves of chaos and delay and delusion like plastic garbage in the Pacific. On April 27, that's a Saturday night, Desert Oracle will be doing this thing with our UFO documentary filmmaker friend and true blue full-time weirdo and mystery man, Jeremy Corbell, at the Joshua Tree Astronomy Arts Theater. You'll see Jeremy's movie about the bizarre Bob Lazar and his claims about Area 51, space monsters. Live soundtrack performed by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. You know him. Jean Paul from Space Cowboy Books is doing science fiction poetry all under the stars on a spring evening. This is a real high desert freak show. Just the place to break my retirement from public appearances. Music starts at 6 p.m. The doors open at 5.30 p.m. $12 bills at the door. Plenty of standing room for the usual stragglers and ne'er-do-wells. My people. Find out more about what we're doing at DesertOracle.com. 
and good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs>